0: You stand, giants after to fall, God. That just like in the Old Testament, sometimes we separate those things from today. But God, you're still just as much as our champion. Yeah. Just as you slayed armies for Israel before they even showed up for the battle, God. Just as you guided David's stone and took out Goliath. And just as you sent fear throughout the enemies of Israel. God, you take care of our battles still. That, God, you are still the champion of all of us here. You're still the champion of One Life Church, God. You're still the champion of your church. And so, God, that with you at our backs, that nothing can stand against us, God. And that this is not a boastful claim. This is a claim of all glory and power to you, the almighty God, who's given us the authority to do your will here in this earth. And so, God, we just want to say thank you for being our champion. Thank you, God, for giving us the strength to live each and every day in victory. That though sometimes the days may seem dark, and though sometimes the days may feel heavy, and we may feel worn out, God, it still doesn't change the fact that you've made us more than overcomers. It doesn't change the fact that you've already made us victors. And it's all because that you... Won everything. You were our champion on the cross. You were our champion when you left the empty tomb and you are our champion today. And we await our champion's return. And so with that, God, we thank you. We thank you. And we thank you for being our champion. And with that, One Life Church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Didn't they do awesome this morning? Don't they do awesome every morning or every Sunday? All right. Well, it's awesome to be back with you guys again this Sunday, and I'm so honored to be able to share the word of God with you guys. Um, this morning, I just want to go ahead and jump into the word, and I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. So if you have your Bibles. Once again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And that passage goes like this. According to the grace of God, which has been given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, but another builds on it. Now let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no one can lay another foundation than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will be revealed. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If anyone's work which he has built on the foundation endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved still going through the fire. So, to get started this morning, I know we're all very talkative and very full of energy this morning. But I want you to look at your neighbor and say, what you build matters. Now look at your other neighbor, the one that you like slightly more, and tell them that what you build matters. Now, if you've been in church at all, you have, under, you have heard about Jesus Christ, our foundation. You've heard about the parable where Jesus talks about how a wise man builds his house on the solid rock, the firm foundation, and how when the storms of life comes, then this house will stand against the storms. But a foolish man builds his house on the sand. And so when the storms come, like the snowstorm we just had, it will fall apart. And, of course, as you later read about in, this pa- in that passage that you'll see Jesus explaining this parable to the disciples saying that this firm foundation, of course, is Jesus and his words and everything that he establishes in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and just the basic principles of Christendom and how we need to just simply live our lives like Jesus. We say simply, but can anyone say amen? That's a little harder than simply. Few honest people today. But in my time of prayer, got the this verse came to me in the middle of our prayer and fasting, and God told me that what also is built on the foundation matters. Because Paul wants to emphasize, and he takes it takes Jesus' parable one step further, saying that. Anything can be built on this foundation. You can build it with hay. You can build it with stone. You can build it with precious gems. You can build it with metals. You can build it with straw. Anything that you have within your range. And how anything that you have. You can build on this foundation. But also it points out that there is something called the day. And that is the Lord's return. Now... We have also heard we have also heard if you guys are fans of sports or if you're fans of great heroes in medieval times or of any sort, you will hear this term called legacy. And this is somewhat of the same idea that Paul is talking about is what is the legacy of your life? What is it that you and I are building on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ? Will it be a legacy that will live longer than ourselves? Will it be a legacy that proclaims the glory of Jesus? Will it be a legacy that shouts his fame to the earth? Or will it be a legacy built upon ourselves and just waking up each and every day and just trying to survive every day and living paycheck to paycheck as it were? Is it just us waking up and dealing with what is coming each day? Are we going to live a life that is victorious? Are we going to choose to live a life that is claiming the promises of God and doing it exceedingly and abundantly more than anything we could ask, dream, or imagine? Is it us laying claim to the full purpose of what we've been talking about on Wednesdays on Killing Kryptonite? Is, Is it us actually walking in the fulfillment of God's promises for our lives? Or is it just waking up and dealing with each day as it comes? What you build matters. What Paul is referencing here, if you if you the best way to get the most out of God's word is reading the Old Testament along with the New Testament. And so we're looking at the New Testament right here at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's talking about building on the permanent foundation. And what what I was reminded of was the old temples in the Old Testament. At this time, there's a temple in Jerusalem, but it wasn't Solomon's temple. Let me explain a little bit further. The first temple that Solomon built that Israel ever had originally, there was just this massive tent for the Ark of the Covenant. This was the mercy seat. This was the very presence of God where he sat on earth. It was a doorway to heaven, if you will, is what the mercy seat was or the Ark of the Covenant. And so David had this passion. He had this dream to one day build a temple for God. But God told him because of his sin and because of him being a man of blood and war that he was not able to build this temple for God. But he did allow the following generation to build this temple for God. So David's son Solomon built this immense temple full of the best wood, gems and gold and metals that you could ever dream or imagine. This would be the greatest temple that had ever existed to where even the massive powers of those days were in awe of the temple. That all the allies that Solomon had, the, the massive powers, could not even believe what Solomon had created for their God. And because of this temple, all these leaders proclaimed that God was the one true God. And actually gave glory to him, even though they had been raised around other gods. They saw the massive victories that David had won. They saw all this glory that had been amassed in this temple because at that time that proved how great a God was and so this was the greatest. But eventually Israel's sin became so great and so intolerable for God that his presence left the mercy seat. The Holy Spirit left his temple. God left his own temple. This greatest structure in the world God abandoned because of the sin of Israel. And so eventually, God sent Israel into exile, and they were taken out of their homeland. And these invaders eventually came, and because the presence of God was not in the temple, it was destroyed. And so this once wonderful building, this greatest thing that you could ever imagine, had been torn down and brought to rubble. The thing that Israel thought was untouchable. They thought they would last forever and last for generations and generations and generations had been brought low. Later, after Israel was released from their imprisonment, they came back to Israel. They came back to their homeland and after they had built some homes for them to live in, they eventually got the idea of, hey, God doesn't have a home yet. But he's the one that brought us out of trouble. He's the one who brought us out of our bondage. He's the one that set us free from our own mistakes and our own mess-ups. Let's build his temple again. And so Israel set to work, and they started building the temple, but slowly. And it would, they, they did not have the precious resources. They didn't have the best wood. They didn't have the best gems. They didn't have the best metals given to them because they had just been released from bondage, so they had nothing. Everything that Israel had had been won through strife and war all around them as they rebuilt. Because as they would rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, as they would rebuild their homes, and as they would rebuild the temples, their neighbors would seek to attack them and destroy them and break their will. So they're basically kicking Israel when they're down, but through, through God's grace, Israel won. And they plundered those places and they took what they had received from their hard work and their labor and their warring. And they put that in the temple, the best that they could muster, and they built the temple with it. But even after all this work, they stepped back and they looked at this temple. And they were greatly saddened instead of heartened. Instead of rejoicing and being glad at the temple being built, they were disheartened. Because they said that this temple was not near as great as the one they remembered. And physically, that was true. But it didn't change the fact that God's presence dwelt there. There's a scripture that says Do you not know that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former? The thing about these temples is that they misunderstood its purpose. They misunderstood what made a temple great. You see, the first temple, Solomon's temple, had the greatest of everything, had the greatest resources as we've already talked about. But it was not the best temple. The second one was. The second temple that was not physically better than the first one was the best. Does anyone want to know why that temple is the best? No? Okay, we're done. There we go. Thank you, Greg. The, The first temple, everything had been given to them. All the gems, the wood, the gold, the silver, all of it had been given to them. They didn't value it because everything had been given to them as gifts by their allies. Now, that's not saying that gifts are not as valuable. I'm just saying that Israel did not honor what they did not put work into. Because even Solomon forgot the ways of God. It says at the end of his life that his heart was turned away from God the man who had built the best temple the physically the best temple still did not maintain a heart for god even though he was the wisest man in the world he was still foolish because he cherished the worldly things more than the presence of god but the second temple they had to fight for they had to bleed and sweat for And now that's not what made the second temple greater. It's not by their own works that made the second temple greater. It's because they had sweat in the game. They had value. They said, we have died for this temple. We have bled for it. And we're going to keep the presence of God this time. Because we learned the first time that it's not about the gold and the silver and all these things on the outward that determines the, the glory of the temple. It's the presence of God. Because when they honored God, God again, they started winning again. And so I want to remind you that what you build matters, not for the sake of how good it looks, but for what's on the inside. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says, You are God's building. Again, later in that chapter, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And so that, that, that scripture that says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former is not talking about simply that second temple. Because that second temple came down. That second temple was brought down just like the first and it only happened after Jesus died on the cross and left an empty grave for us. Because the Holy Spirit no longer needed to hide behind closed doors. The Holy Spirit no longer had to reside in the Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit now resided in you and me. And so God no longer needed a temple because He had the temple He wanted. And that's you and me. And that God's church is made of living stones. That His new temple is made of living stones. Living testimonies. That's you and in me, And do you not realize that the thing that killed people, that they had to be the holiest of holies, they had to be perfect to even enter the presence of God on one day of the year because God simply made an allowance, that their perfection was not even enough to be in His presence, that He had to have forgiveness for them. That that spirit lives in you and me. That that's why we can live a life of victory. That's why we can live a life that is, that is undefeated. That's why we can live a life where he is our champion it is because he's not residing in this building. He's residing in you and me because this church can be brought down. God forbid this place be like the temples and this, place, this church be brought down. But it does not mean that the temple is brought down because he is in you and me. And that's why the church is going to be the only thing that survives today. I want us to live a life focused on the day. Not worried about it. Not fretting about it. Not worried about the end of time as we know it. I want us to look at it with excitement. Because we're going to be the only things that survive the day. The temple is the only thing that's going to be left unshaken. The temple is the only thing built on the firm foundation of Jesus. And so that's why what you build matters. Because each of us individually is a stone as a conglomerate of this temple. So, Pastor Jordan, how how do we build correctly? What do we build? How do we build our life so that it matters more? glad you asked. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31 says, Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. So how is it that you and I live a life that glorifies God? How can we continuously be a temple filled with the presence of God, filled with his strength and his majesty, so that we can live a life worthy of the calling of the mark of Jesus Christ? How do we build correctly? You love God and you love people. This Valentine's Day, we've made it about loving your significant other, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. We've made it all about that. But on this Valentine's Day, love is reserved for everyone. It's for your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, everyone that's hurt you, everyone that's loved you. Love. How do, we live a leg- How do we leave a legacy that's worthy of the temple that God has made us? We live a life of love. Because some of the greatest moments in my life are from simple moments. People just sitting down and listening to me when I've been hurt. Sometimes people sitting down and listening to my greatest accomplishments and sharing my greatest joys. And all of that in common is that they sit down and simply love me. It's not about the things that you get. It's not about the physical gifts that you receive or you give somebody. That's not love. Love is the time you invest in people. And in, and I'm so worried and I'm so afraid in this world that we've that we live in that you've heard me say it before we focus so much on ourselves. We look out for number one. In America, we value being able to stand on our own two feet. That we forget that God created us as a society to stand together arm in arm. That we can't do this life alone. You can't even come in this world on your own. So what makes you think that you can live it on your own. Trust me, this is one of the greatest struggles I had to learn. I thought when I went to college, I had to earn my own money. had to... Uh, do everything on my own, had to pay for college on my own. But eventually, it taught me that I needed someone's help. Of course, that's my parents. But the thing that, the thing that taught me that I can't stand on my own two feet, no matter what stage of my life I'm in, is that I need somebody. Somebody. At one point, somebody asked me what my greatest fear was. And honestly, I don't care. I don't really care about much, but the greatest thing that I feared was being alone. Because being alone, we are not able to be the temple. Being alone, we're not able to fulfill the promises of God. Being alone, we're not able to carry out everything that God's designed for us. Because when we're alone, we don't have anybody. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. When you're alone, there's no, there's no getting through anything. You may be able to shrug off a few things. You may be able to avoid a few things. But you don't have anyone to cry with. You don't have anyone to share in your joy. You have no one to share in your victories. It gets lonely at the mountaintop if you make it. But I tell you, I'd rather be at the bottom of the mountain with a group of people that love me and I love them sharing in joy and happiness and every sadness and being at the top alone. And that on this Valentine's Day, that's how, we, that's how we become this temple. That's how we live a life that's worthy of God's legacy, of Jesus' legacy. That's how we live this life victorious. Is when we live a life together in love and unity. So Amy, I'm wrapping up if you want to help me quit here. Going back to the going back to the idea I opened up with, a living legacy. What will make this temple that is built out of our lives remain beyond everything else in this world, beyond time itself? Is if we make this commitment in our hearts and our minds today. Each and every day. Saying that I will love God and I will love people. And the only way that we can live a life with that kind of love. Is with the Holy Spirit. You can't even have unconditional love for the people that are nice to you in your own strength. Can anyone say amen to that? Without the Holy Spirit and being renewed in our minds daily, we will continuously find ourselves seeking selfish gain. But when you sit down and talk to God and ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit, and you come to know Him as your personal Savior, And ask him to renew your mind daily. You start finding yourself wanting to do things for people. To bless them. To love on them. To be a gift to them. And not just receiving, but giving. Because the Bible does say it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so when you're filled with his presence and the very identity of Jesus, that starts to become your nature. Because Jesus is all about giving. And so as we are living stones and as we build this temple and as we become closer to him, we'll start to find that his identity is more and more in us than what we believe. So if we'll stand.